why we must walk in faith. I hope you guys can hear me. I can't hear myself, which kind of sucks because I don't know if you can hear me. So I'm just going to check the chat. So today um, is the 7th of February. And I believe that the press conference that uh, Patrick Byrne gave, which was multifaceted and walking through, was pretty um, stellar and revealing. Uh, it seems that everything that we were concerned about, uh, them attacking uh, President Trump and trying to tie everything to him as if he's done it all and paid for it, uh, is slowly crumbling and falling apart. And we see that now. We see how they operate. We see how they move. And we see that this whole January 6th commission is a complete fraud and a waste of our money. It's no different than what the attorney general in New York is doing. It is no different. Our president began his administration as implemented to build a wall and the ball and the actual wall was not even built. And that was on purpose to aid in a takeover. The people closest to him, the people that you believed uh, aligned with your thoughts, with your wants, with your needs as a nation betray him which in turn betray us. Many, 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 many have seen this. Many that were against President Trump are now seeing a turning of the times. They are now getting these scales removed from their eyes. And as I see people walking down the street, protesting, having discussions, just going about their way, I am starting to realize a unity that the people are slowly uniting, slowly uniting. But a little pocket of information that I came upon accidentally made me realize one thing. Now, <laughs> I have said many a times I do not like the way Warren... Buffett operates. But that's going to be the show for tomorrow. I may indeed have to apologize to my friend Patrick because I saw something that I didn't expect. So I'm not a fan of his at all. But a damn little stone. That was all it was. And I'm like, did it really happen like that? But we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Um, but I see this unity among us, among the people, among the people, which is fantastic. 
And I thought I would replay a video so that people understand the fears that were expressed then, how they are no different than now. Allow me, for those that have not seen this, to introduce you to frightening, I would say, information, ugly information. And the fact that the statements that they are making is kind of like, oh, this is like an ethics commission thing. And to, how is it an ethics commission thing when you're allowed to tell people you can't talk about a senator or a congressperson? You know, look at Virginia. What a hot mess it is. We've got the governor, the lieutenant governor. Now they're attorney general, all blackface, all racist. We all know Virginia was always a racist state. Always. But see, nobody seems to remember history. Democrats are the racists. And so them purporting and saying that we're racist is just deflection. That's what corrupt people do. They deflect. They, um, you know, make you think like the other side is the bad guy. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. Abraham Lincoln here is one of the most racist presidents we've had in modern history. And that's how they win. Right. Remember that we're not going to make America great again. It was never that great. So now they're going to say because control of virus is racist, it risks black people from going to the polls. Right. So even if they do uh, simply, you know, say, hey, you're wearing a mask, you should be fine. Apparently, black people are more prone. You know what makes me wonder? So we know that the elderly uh, die really easy from anything. Right. But what if the Democrats are actually killing black people to get numbers? Like, what if they're going after black Americans? I mean, do you doubt that? Based on the pseudoscience of eugenics, more than 30 states passed laws allowing for the forced sterilization of so-called defectives. Syrian birth and took my child. And when they did that, they sterilized me. What do you think I'm worth? State officials declared Riddick feeble-minded and unfit to have children. Is birth control of such vital importance internationally? Is it just to save women suffering? Is that the only reason in your mind? Well, not entirely. The population question is a great concern today. And the, the rate at which uh, the birth, births come in to the... We're saving them now. At one time, when children died, they didn't have the food. Do you feel that birth control is essential to keep millions of people across the world from starving? Well, I think the birth control, if you keep the population uh, more or less static until you pick up your resources. Main reason is because I was poor and out and black. I believe that with all of my heart. The problem is that the population is growing the fastest where people are less able to deal with it. So it's in the very poorest places that you're going to have a tripling in population by 2050. The United Nations Sustainable Development Goals are 17 targets we must meet by 2030 to ensure decent lives for all on a healthy planet. Right now, it's expected we will fail. One reason for that is the growth in our global population. Everyone deserves a long, healthy life. But when governments are poor, health systems buckle under the pressure of growing populations. Meanwhile, women and children are dying because of barriers to family planning. There is enough of everything for everyone on our planet now, if the richest nations take less and share more. And so their ability to feed, educate, provide jobs, stability, 
protect the environment in those locations mean uh, you know, they're faced with an almost impossible problem. Northern Nigeria, Yemen, Chad. What is Agenda 2063? Agenda 2063 is the master plan for transforming Africa into a global powerhouse of the future by the year 2063 and ensuring that Africa's development is driven by investments that are sustainable and benefits all people. There has been a revolutionary change in demographic research, partly because in the mid, middle of the last century, around 1945, very few countries had good population data. Something like 70 years ago, population was considered one of the biggest, biggest issues. Demographers were well aware that following World War II, there would be a sort of explosion in the growth of the world's population, in part because of, well, really driven by the knowledge that had been developed about control of disease and uh, keeping people alive and protecting them from premature death uh, is of course one of the great accomplishments of the 20th century. There have been huge changes, not only in population research, but in population dynamics. The world is so different from what it was just a few decades ago. It has been a, a demographic revolution. There was a big event in 1974. It was a World Population Conference in Bucharest. And there was discussion about uh, population policy versus uh, development policy. And the slogan it was, development is the best contraceptive. And after long, long, long debates, it was agreed that population affects development, but also development affects population. In an article published Tuesday in the journal Bioscience, the scientists wrote that planet Earth is, quote, facing a climate emergency. Quote, the world population must be stabilized and ideally gradually reduced. Achieving a sustainable global population matters. If we do, we can all have the dignity, security, and well-being envisioned by the Sustainable Development Goals. Fertility causing tetanus vaccines reared their heads yet again, this time fronted by NASA presidential candidate Raila Odinga, who revisited a claim made by the Catholic Church in Kenya in 2014 and 2015 that the Ministry of Health had administered tetanus vaccines contaminated with a hormone during a countrywide anti tetanus drive, the hormone allegedly leading to infertility among the women who had received the vaccine. Odinga offering as proof an alleged analysis of the samples which he claimed had been obtained from the laboratories of four organizations AgriQuest, Nairobi Hospital, the University of Nairobi and Lancet Kenya. Documents availed by the National Super Alliance appearing to show varying amounts of the hormone in individuals that were tested. Test results in our possession indicate that some of the women who got this vaccination have since sought further tests and obtained results indicating that they can never carry a pregnancy unless a process of reversing the effects is initiated. In 2014 and 2015, as the government undertook a nationwide anti-tetanus drive targeting women aged between 15 and 49, Kenyan Catholic leaders questioned the need for the program, arguing that there was no tetanus crisis in the country. 
women have two things in common. They are HIV positive and they say they were sterilized without their consent. This weekly therapy session helps them recover from the trauma. Roda Musao is 40, childless and infertile. Her first child died young and her second was stillborn. She was still recovering when her husband told the doctor to sterilize her. The doctor told me they were cleaning my stomach. I don't know what happened. I just don't know. I learned about what happened six months later. A woman rights group has published a report based on interviews with more than 40 HIV-positive women in Nairobi and Western Kenya. The women accused some doctors in government hospitals and others in hospitals run by aid agencies of performing unauthorized sterilizations. Teresia Njoki was a report lead researcher. She says that there was no consent, women were misinformed, or sterilization was set as a condition for receiving free or discounted antiretroviral drugs and milk formula. She also says the practice goes back two decades, so many more women could have been affected. The issue of sterilization has brought double stigma for the women. Remember, we are living with HIV. Then the issue of not being able to give birth. And this is Africa, where a woman who is not able to give birth, and again you are HIV positive, then you are no longer a woman. On June 27, 1973, a lawsuit was filed that brought national attention to the issue of racially targeted sterilization abuse. In the late 1960s and into the 70s, civil rights activists noticed a widespread trend among women of color. It was sterilization. In June of 73, the Ralph sisters, 14-year-old Minnie Lee and 12-year-old Mary Alice, who was mentally disabled, were sterilized without their knowledge or consent. These African-American girls had the procedure done at a Montgomery, Alabama family planning clinic that received federal funds. Clinic workers deceived the girl's illiterate mother into believing that she was consenting to the girls getting birth control shots. Two years earlier, the Ralph sisters had been given birth control injections as part of an experimental trial, again, without their consent. After the federal government ended that trial, the clinic nurses decided that the girls should be sterilized. The girls were targeted for sterilization because they were poor, black, and living in public housing. Let me inform you, let's all get the vaccine. It's about community immunity. I'm talking unity for you and me. If Doc says it's good, trust me, it's good. Now let's all get the vaccine number of people infected. Flu is now widespread in almost every single state, and nearly 10 million people have become ill so far. 4,800 of those people have died. And then between school and daycare and other activities, those germs are just churning right now. Dr. Rachel Haley with Lee Summit Medical Center takes a look at this season so far. We have seen dramatic spikes in flu illnesses on both the Missouri and Kansas side. In fact, our nine care nows have recorded 1,200 cases of the flu since December 1st. And nationally, we've got approximately 9.7 million people that have caught the flu. 80,000 people have gone in the hospital, and we've had 400 deaths. Data from the Rhode Island Department of Health shows there were nearly 1,400 influenza hospitalizations 
in the 2017-18 season, roughly 1,000 the next two years. Yet so far this season, just two. There were 60 flu deaths three years ago. This season, none. Scientists say the flu has almost disappeared in the Southern Hemisphere. It's another thing that suddenly started to disappear in Korea. The flu. They're willing to put you in jail in your home. Throw us into poverty. Shut your small business down. Make you go broke. Make make you beg for money. They are willing to kill you to maintain power. And they don't care. Because there is one cure, and you're the cure. Think about it. We heard all these doctors come out, right, and state that uh, bottom line is, uh, you know, hydroxychloroquine works. Not for COVID. All this foolishness, it's not does not need to happen. There is a cure for COVID. There is a cure for COVID. It's called hydroxychloroquine. It's called zinc. It's called Zitromax. And it is time for the grassroots to wake up. I said, no, we're not going to take this any longer. Yes, we can use security measures. Yes, we can be careful. I'm all for that. We all are. But I think the important thing is we need to not act out of fear. We need to act out of science. We need to do it. We need to get it done. Finally, uh, the barrier, and I hate to say this, but the barrier to getting our kids back in school is not going to be the science. It's going to be the uh, national unions, the teachers' union the National Education Association, other groups who are going to demand money. And listen, I think that it's fine to give people money for PPE and different things in the classroom, but some of their demands are really ridiculous. They're talking about where I'm from in California, the UTLA, which is the United Teachers of Los Angeles, is demanding that we defund the police. What does that have to do with education? My name is Sarah Abbott, and I'm Sunrise's Team Support and Culture Director, and just incredibly glad to see how many people are on this call tonight. My name is Barshini, and I am Sunrise's Executive Director. Um, I am really glad to see almost 600 of you on this call. We are currently witnessing you know, an, an uprising against police violence and the murder of, of Black people in this country. Um, So I'm going to share a little bit about uh, the difference between some of what we're seeing and hearing in the media um, and what's really happening on the ground in Minneapolis. Um, So I grew up in rural Minnesota, where I'm calling from today, which, as the Dakota elder shared with us at the beginning of the call, is Dakota land. And I lived in South Minneapolis for many years um, and all of those burning buildings that we're seeing on Lake Street. um, I've driven by or shopped at those stores hundreds of times. um, And yes, this is like one of my beloved communities. And what I think is so important to understand is that what we are seeing is not just um, chaos, we're actually seeing resistance and organizing. This account called Don't Shoot Us, which was posing as a part of the Black Lives Matter movement, used all of these platforms to effectively create an ecosystem where these messages, highlighting police brutality, trying to galvanize African-American outrage over police brutality, those would be reinforced across a a network of platforms. And with some influence, actually, we look and we see, you know, YouTube videos that together were viewed more than 350,000 times, a Facebook page that had more than 250,000 likes. All of these linked to each other, linked through an account 
that was registered to an address that actually turned out to be a shopping mall in Illinois, that Tumblr page promoted a Pokemon Go uh, competition where if you went to sites where there had been alleged incidents of police brutality and you named your Pokemon after those victims, for instance, naming Pikachu Eric Gardner, if you won that competition, this promotion suggested, you might win a free Amazon Prime card. Um, and what we know is that uprisings, including including actions like burning buildings, um, are legitimate and powerful forms of resistance um, and are resisting brutal and violent and dehumanizing systems. Smoke rising above Washington, D.C. on the sixth night of protest. On the ground, a large fire just a couple hundred meters from the White House, one of many dramatic images on this night. The province tracks every single case, and so far, not one has been linked to those recent protests. So why is that? Well, the credit goes to a combination of things, according to the provincial health officer. Uh, they were outside for short periods of time, for one, and most kept their distance and wore a mask. All right. So welcome, everybody, to the final session of our day four, um, or for four-day crash course to defund the police. Get something to take notes. We want to make sure that this is a lot of great information and that you remember it um, so that you can continue your abolition work. Also, um, if any of you guys were wondering about music, so basically uh, all of our slides this week on each day is themed after a, uh, a Disney Channel movie or Disney Channel show. So today uh, our title slide is high school musical, so... Defunding the police is not just a demand. It's a strategy, a way to win abolition of policing, prisons, detention centers, and the values and ideas that criminalize Black, Indigenous people of color, people in poverty, and the working class. In Burnsville, there's a book called Something Happened in Our Town that was read to fourth graders. This book warns students that police are mean to Black people, but nice to white people. Cops stick up for each other, it says, and they don't like black men. When a character asks why a black man was shot, the character's sister responds, it wasn't a mistake. The cop shot him because he was black. I should add that this book is also listed by the Minnesota Department of Education, so it is likely being read in other classrooms as well. Loudoun County, Virginia, the epicenter of the fight over critical race theory being taught in America, we've seen countless parents fed up with a program that suggests white kids should be apologetic for being white and black kids should feel oppressed even when there is no sign of oppression. In Loudoun County, it's crossed the line. Apparently, the teachers union is demanding teachers rat out other teachers for their opinions if those opinions don't agree with critical race theory. And get this, I'm not talking about in the classroom. No, these commies want teachers to turn in fellow teachers who say things in their personal lives. Don't believe me? Just watch as Laura Morris, a fifth grade teacher in Loudoun County School System, resigns because she can't take it anymore. So since my contract outlines the power that you have over my employment in Loudoun County Public Schools, I thought it necessary to resign in front of you. School board, I quit. I quit your policies, I quit your trainings, and I quit being a cog in a machine that tells me to push highly politicized agendas on our most vulnerable constituents, the children. I will find employment elsewhere. 
I encourage all parents and staff in this county to flood the private schools. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That is just sad. When the teachers union said they were focusing on division this year, I had no idea they meant critical race theory. All right. Hello, ABEC. My name is Mariah. I am a teacher in Sun. And I am Greg, your principal. We are representing ABEC's Diversity and Equity Committee. And this short video is going to tell you about racial affinity groups. An affinity group is designated a designated safe space where everyone in the group shares a particular particular identity. These groups can be based on gender, sexual orientation, or language, to name a few. At ABEC, we are going to start with racial affinity groups. Racial affinity groups can provide white people the space to accept their own whiteness without shame or defensiveness and to build healthy anti-racist identities. We have to design a curriculum and curricular experiences here for children that allow them to uncover the fundamental issues of our time, of which racism is one. Not to cover these issues, but to uncover them. Affinities groups mean that, like when you come together, it means that you aren't just by yourself and you're not different. There's a ton, a lot. There's a lot of people that, um, are like you. I think one of the most important things that white people, white students really need to think about is their own identity and how to articulate who they are, um, where they came from, what their story is. And that is some of the most important work I think we can do with white students and thinking about how to help them become good. It's one way for me to see people who are your and other people's race or religion. We have lunch together with people who um, are that race. Sometimes the work that we're doing in being white allies I think um, can be difficult and I think that we all have to be honest with ourselves about why that can be difficult. Um, from my perspective, sometimes I don't know the answer or feel like I might not have the right answer. Um, and so I think always digging deeper and knowing yourself well and striving to understand what I white identity is and white privilege is um, can help in the ally work that you do. I, I try my best to be a white ally, you know. I, I don't I, I don't like say, oh, oh no, you're going, come on. Why do you have to go? I mean, would you, wouldn't you rather have lunch with me? But I know they would much rather go to the affinity groups, and if not, I shouldn't say that to make them take back that decision that's so important to who they are. And today we're talking about Dr. Kellogg. Now, some of you might have heard of Dr. Kellogg before, or if not, you've heard of the Kellogg Company and the cereal that they've made. And we're not talking about cereal today. We're actually talking about his beliefs and his beliefs in eugenics. Our collection items about eugenics generally have to do with Dr. Kellogg, which is strange. You know, you think of cornflakes and uh, sometimes exercise programs and healthy living, but you don't always think so much about other things, other kinds of philosophies that he might have been involved with. Kellogg really comes into the picture full force here. The first national conference on race betterment 
This was held in 1914 at, in Battle Creek at Kellogg Sanitarium. Um, and this is the full program. This contains all of the speeches that were given by Kellogg and lots and lots of other people. There are names you'll recognize like Melville Dewey and his wife, they both spoke. And the conference topics cover everything from how to eat healthy and how to get enough exercise and why that's so important, right down to something called the eugenics uh, registry, which was something that Kellogg was very interested in developing. And we'll talk more about that soon. One of the pages, these are two different copies of the same book. Um, one part of this includes tables. Um, the eugenicists really tried to come up with data to support their views. Sometimes they had to kind of create the data to support their views. But this is really awful. It's uh, tables that show the rate of efficiency of proposed segregation and sterilization programs. So not only were the eugenicists trying to promote the right sex partners for the best possible children to be created, but also sterilization was a huge part of their program. Well, Susan Rosenberg uh, is somebody that was convicted in 1985. Um, she possessed 640 pounds of explosives. She had been involved in a number of uh, criminal events in New York City uh, and the tri-state area. She was a member of the Weather Underground and the May 19th Communist Organization. Uh, she was sentenced to 58 years in prison. Um, and uh, she was also involved in, she was a getaway driver in a Brinks uh, armored car robbery in which two cops were killed and a, and a security guard was killed. Um, so she went to prison for 58 years and she was commuted, her sentence was commuted after 16 years by President Clinton on his last day in office. You know, we've got BLM and we've got, you know, the NAACP embracing them, embracing the very people that hate them. It's, it's really incredible if you, if you think about it. So today I'm going to break down for you what you really need to know about Ilhan Omar exposed to you because through this uh, New York Times op-ed, uh, a few hints and glimmers were given, but obviously even the New York Times has no idea. There is a terrorist group, a terrorist group so covert, so covert that it's changed its name and then Obama buried the changed name. He classified it. Remember how Care and Ilhan are like, oh my gosh, they have terrorists and the majority are Muslim and they're not letting us know. Why are they classifying them? We should know who they are. Listen, no, they don't because then you know we're watching. This name has been buried for a very long time, since 2008, when it was initiated, in 2010, it was completely buried. And that also came hand in hand with the lawsuit that was happening. If you guys know, CARE was an unindicted terrorist organization. So I that hope- was squad member, Congresswoman Elon. I hope that gave you a little bit of perspective of exactly what we are up against as a nation. As a nation, we're up against a lot. And unfortunately, history is not taught. It is rewritten 
and changed. History is not taught. And I'd like us to shift gears. I want you to let that percolate. So I thought we could just take a super quick musical break. I don't wanna know, no, 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 who's taking you home, 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 and loving you so, 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 the way I used to love you. Oh, I don't wanna know. We don't talk anymore. We don't talk anymore like we used to. Wasted And the more I drink, the more I think about you No, no, I can't take it Baby, every place I go reminds me of you So I wanna know kind of dress you wear until tonight If you're so that I'm serious, so tight The way I did before Oh, so should've known your love was a game. Now I can't get you out of my brain. Oh, it's such a shame. I don't wanna know, no, no, no. Who's taking you home, 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 home? I'm loving you so, 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 so. The way I used to love you, no. We don't talk anymore. We don't talk anymore. Oh, it's so 
We don't talk anymore. People don't talk anymore. People don't read anymore. People don't listen. The attention span of a fish is what people have. Because if they actually read, they would know. And if they actually listened, they would know. We're And you know, you can't blame them. I mean, we all do it. It's a, a time of instant gratification. Twitter trained everyone very well, 140 characters or less. Put your message out. That's all you get. Those, those are the amount of characters you can use to speak. That is it. And therefore, your expression must be less. Very good training program, isn't it? You get cut off on, uh, <laughs> on what you want to say. So I thought to shift a little bit gears, we should see one of our own. One of our own people is a whistleblower. Jean, from one of our groups, was interviewed by Project Veritas. Now, I can say that we're a massive community, but it is an understatement when we know that what John did, losing her job and most likely being persecuted, she did for all of us. She did for all of us. So if there's more out, out there, more whistleblowers out there that are within the groups, be brave, be best, and open your mouth. Who's going to, but why are you shutting it? Sing it, say it, put it out. Now, let's listen to this interview with Joan. It's pretty eye-opening. She tested positive for COVID, COVID but, but that, that wasn't, wasn't her reason for admission. admission. I would think that there's some motivation that it's driving higher, higher rates of reimbursement or quicker reimbursement or something. The guy went in for multiple gunshot wounds <laughs> and he was coded as COVID. I'm like, he would have never known he had COVID if he hadn't gotten sh gunshot wounds. COVID is, it's interesting. It's the elephant in the room that you're not allowed to talk about. COVID is never going to end if we don't start calling this out. Tell us your name, your title, where you work. My name is Jean Stagg. I am a nurse with, or was a nurse with United Healthcare, uh, Community and State Plan of Louisiana. Specifically, I do inpatient utilization management coordination. And how long have you done that for? I've worked for United about seven years. Um, about the last two years is when I've done the inpatient utilization specifically. What brought you here today? Why come to Project Veritas? Well, I've been seeing some uh, cases come over that um, were coded as COVID-19 that I felt should not have been coded as COVID-19. Um, I've tried to raise awareness to my leadership and even with the fraud, waste and abuse department, and it just kind of fell on deaf ears. Um, and I do have a few patients that, you know, they went in for reasons outside of uh, COVID symptoms, but they are still being counted on our census as a COVID admission. So that may be, um, you know, showing some higher numbers as well. They did test positive for COVID, but they went in for other reasons, but they are still being counted in our numbers. So any questions? 
Yeah, thank you so much, John. That was great. Well, that's odd. You identified that there were problems. And who are you speaking to there? Well, this was our daily uh, leadership call. So it's all of our uh, leadership at the uh, Louisiana Health Plan. And every Wednesday, I report off on our COVID inpatient numbers. You can see the trends. Obviously, we're concerned about when we see the the spikes and the the peaks. Um, And so I try to explain why we're having peaks. It's not necessarily because we have patients that are critically ill with COVID. These are just the patients that are showing up on our daily census Mm -hmm. as a primary admitting diagnosis of COVID-19. When did you first notice this trend of coding all new patients as COVID? Some of them are um, legitimately COVID-19. But starting in around March of 2020, that's when I started really tracking and uh, specifically focusing on just the COVID-19 patients. And I would say it's around um, June or July, I started seeing some cases which should not have been COVID, in my opinion. We have an example here of, a, I believe, a gunshot patient. Yes. Does that ring a bell? The one that really got me a while back, and I told Nicole, because I'm like, oh my God, this has nothing to do with COVID. The guy went in for multiple gunshot wounds, <laughs> and he was coded as COVID. I'm like, he would have never known he had COVID if he hadn't gotten sh- gunshot wounds. I mean, we take the cases as they're sent to us, but um, I've had a couple where it was like, scheduled vaginal deliveries or um, car wrecks, you know, different things like that, that that wasn't their reason for going to the hospital. But, you know, like I said, the only way they're going to show up on my census is if COVID is their primary diagnosis. I, I, I don't want to say it's fraud and abuse, but I mean, should I be reporting stuff like that or just letting it go? I mean, the thing about it is, is we are finding you know, people, as we work them up, were COVID positive, and they had no inclination to even know mm-hmm. they might be positive. But, I mean, when I assess those folks and put in codes, that's never my number one code in that situation. Who are you speaking to there? That is Dr. Moriel. She's actually my boss. She is the chief medical officer for United Healthcare Louisiana Medicaid. Um, but she also works as a hospitalist at a local hospital. Um, so she's very familiar. She's been on the front line uh, with the whole COVID. And how would you characterize her reaction? I think that she was a little bit surprised as well that her peers or the, the hospitals were doing that. You know, like she said, she wouldn't have done it in that way. Dr. Maria, for that $2,100 of fee for the windows for the uh, antibodies, are people being charged their deductible for that, or is the, the feds just paying that outright? The feds are paying for it at this point. But that may not be what's going to happen going forward. The feds are paying for it. But the supplies are somewhat limited. When Dr. Morial is referring to when the feds are paying for it, who is she talking about? I would imagine that it has to do with the CARES Act and the federal funds that were allocated through the CARES Act. Do you believe there's a financial incentive to do this? I think that there, there probably is. So I don't see the actual financial side of it, but I have heard rumors, mm-hmm. you know, that they are getting money directly from the federal government for COVID positive admissions. And I'm wondering what the motivation would be for that, because I don't think the reimbursement is going to be any different. 
Well, I know that the reimbursement um, turnover is quicker, right? Because with all of our COVID, it's like a 15-day turnaround for reimbursement, whereas normally we're like a 30-day reimbursement. So, well, maybe that's maybe that's driving some of the motivation. Mm-hmm. And I thought that they got reimbursed at Medicare rate instead of Medicaid rate. They do. I mean, Medicare rate would be significantly higher than Medicaid rate. Oh, yes. Yeah. I would think that there's some motivation that it's driving higher higher rates of reimbursement or quicker reimbursement or something. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise there's no reason to put, you know, something like that as a leading diagnosis in an asymptomatic, basically asymptomatic patients. <laughs> so typically when a patient goes into the hospital, they go through utilization review. So we have a team of nurses that review the patient's stay. We use a standard set of criteria. All hospitals, all insurance companies use the same set of criteria. And we basically are reviewing it and saying the care that this patient is getting meets criteria. They still need to stay in the hospital. If they don't meet the criteria, we deny the stay. Um, or maybe they shouldn't have been admitted in the first place. We're going to deny that. Um, what happens is LDH, which is the Louisiana Department of Health and Hospitals, they have suspended utilization review. So they're basically telling the insurance companies that they cannot do medical necessity review. We can't deny anything. When that happens, you can see on that chart the spikes in numbers. It kind of correlates when LDH suspends utilization review. Now, your critics might say that you're just speculating, that you're just uh, assuming, guessing. Uh, how will you react to those critics? I would say LDH is definitely suspending utilization review. That's, it's unprecedented for them to do this. What are we looking at here? This is actually a health plan advisory. They have amended it multiple times. And this is basically telling them that all utilization management for all medical hospitalizations, including but not limited to initial service authorizations and concurrent reviews must be suspended. Now, this is not specific to COVID-19. This is every single hospital admission. We're not allowed to do medical necessity review. So it gives the hospitals free reign to admit anything they want, code it however they want, keep the patients in the hospital as long as they want, and we're not going to deny anything. Who is giving these directives? This is coming from LDH, which is the Louisiana Department of Health and Hospitals. And I'll also point out, too, that LDH meets with all of the hospital heads, the CEOs of all of the hospitals. They meet once a week with the governor, and they discuss strategies and how they're going to go forward dealing with this COVID pandemic. COVID is it's interesting because it's the elephant in the room that you're not allowed to talk about. So what's your message to the doctors watching this feeling betrayed by you? Well, I mean, I hope they live up to the oath they took to do no harm. To me, this is dishonest. I don't know that it's illegal because it's being allowed to happen by the CDC. I would hope that they would stand up to their hospital administration because I'm sure they're getting pressure from their administration to test everyone, test them multiple times, get that COVID diagnosis on the chart. Um, but I would hope that they would stand up. I mean, we have to stand up and fight this. It's COVID is never going to end if we don't start calling this out, what we see. When I see a patient and if the patient is presented with other symptoms that aren't suggestive of a COVID infection, even though they may test positive for COVID, 
that's not my primary diagnosis. So John was very, very, very brave. She spoke up and she told the truth. And I can tell you without giving too many details, because it's not my story to tell, she is feeling the legal backlash. She obviously has no job and she, um, came out and made those statements. And I think the more people come out, the more the truth comes out and we need people to fight with the knowledge, the rank and files, the nurses, the doctors, they can come out. So this is her give, send, go site. And, um, I wanted to show you guys where this all started as well. So if you have a spare $5, anything, um, this woman gave up her career. She talked about it with a lot of people within her group, uh, prayed about it and decided, you know, it's the right thing to do. So she did it. And I am very grateful for her that she did. Now it was in 2020, April, and you guys know, um, my friend, uh, Chris Berg, he's a reporter up in North Dakota who lost his job at, um, by gray media. They fired him because he refused to get the COVID vaccine. So he's kind of doing his own thing, but I want to remind you right before he had a Senator from Minnesota on the phone me and him had a talk. I called him. I spam called him. He's like, you know, I'm getting ready for my show. What are you doing? I was like, listen, listen, I just saw the cares act. They're paying people money. If they, every bed that has COVID paying people money. And he was like, no way. And I was like, listen, Dr. Jensen's a doctor. He practices medicine. Just trust me, ask him the question. And the most famous interview was born. Speaking of Minnesota, a doctor and state senator from Minnesota, Scott Jensen, joins us tonight on the 702 communication line to talk about an interesting piece you put in the Star Tribune recently as well. So I don't know if you like Dr. Jensen, Senator Jensen, but thank you so much for joining us tonight, sir. And let's start with this. Um, you and I communicated briefly yesterday via email shortly on the phone. Have you yet seen the information that's going into these U of M models that the governor is using to make these decisions? No, we have not. Uh, we have asked for those, and we were told by the governor's office that we would receive the data tonight. And so we're hoping to see what the assumptions are and what the data is. Uh, but at this point in time, we have not. So I just want to be clear for our audience, sir. You've got a governor of a state that is making executive orders, stay-at-home orders that right now is cratering your economy. Uh, we don't know what data is being used, and yet you as a state senator, as a doctor, have not seen that data that's being used for our governor to make these decisions. No, we have not. And um, Does that, does that is, not concern you? I mean, shouldn't the people of Minnesota be screaming right now? Well, I think, you know, Minnesota nice. We want to we want to be good soldiers and that. But I, I think that people are starting to say, hold it now. We need to have a deeper understanding of this. And we're not getting it. I think that 
Well, in Minnesota, as a physician, I received an email last week from the Department of Health coaching me on how to fill out death certificates. And I've never really received coaching from the vital statistics uh, agency in terms of how to do a death certificate. But basically, I felt like they were saying, you know, you don't have to have a confirmed laboratory test for COVID-19 in order to make the death certificate be COVID-19. So wait, 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 wait. Uh, sir, 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 I don't mean to interrupt you, but that and what you just said, I think is critically important. Can you repeat what you just said, please? Well, last Friday, I received a seven-page document that sort of told me that if I had an 86-year-old patient that had pneumonia but was never tested for COVID-19, but sometime after she came down with pneumonia, we learned that she had been exposed to her son who had no symptoms but later on was identified with COVID-19, that it would be appropriate to diagnose on the death certificate COVID-19. Now, we've not done that. If someone has the pneumonia after, and, and it's in the middle of a flu epidemic, and I don't have a test on influenza, I don't diagnose influenza on the death certificate. I will say uh, this elderly patient Sir, died of pneumonia. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I, my heart is sinking right now as you're telling me this. You're, you're a doctor. Why in the world would they be sending you out information to fill out death certificates, whether the person's been diagnosed with COVID-19 or not, but then to say in the death certificate, this person's death was caused by COVID-19? That, that does not sound right to me. I went to the person in our office who does most of the death certificates over the last you know, 10, 20 years, and I said, does this sound right? I had her look at the documents that I printed off, and she said, well, we've always been told that you always put down just facts. You don't put down any probabilities. You don't put any presumptions down. It's just what you know. And so this is concerning. And, and it actually gets to your point, Chris. When we start talking about the data that goes into the modeling, we have to ask ourselves a question. Are we being forthright? Are we sharing with the public? Minnesota, North Dakota, we don't need to be having it sugar-coated. We want to know but what's going into your modeling? So with that being said, why would they want to skew the number of deaths due to COVID-19? Well, fear is a great way to control people. And I worry about that. I worry that sometimes we're so darn interested in just jazzing up the fear factor that, you know, sometimes people's ability to think for themselves is paralyzed if they're frightened enough. And that's not where I want people to be. I want people to say, we're going to get through this. I'm going to use my head. I'm going to go to different sources. I'm going to listen to different sources. And I'm going to think for myself because that's what America is about. Um, Senator, if you don't mind, after this interview, if, if you can send me that seven-page document. And, and just for clarity, you were sent a seven-page document by who again? The Department of Health. Department of Health saying, hey, fill this out, whether they test positive for COVID. That, that is stunning, sir. So uh, Governor Wallace had his conference call today. One of the things he mentioned is he's, he's going to lay out, it sounds like, some ideas or a plan tomorrow about his statewide stay-at-home order it was supposed to end on April 10th. He is going to have some changes to that. Do you have any new information regarding that, sir? I don't, but there's certainly been a big push that we should be using more of a laser-focused approach rather than some sort of a broad scale whack-a-mole kind of a thing we've got landscapers and lawn preparers and we've got dock workers and golf courses and there's no reason to not let those people out there doing their job and it isn't just about those 
occupations I mentioned. We're also talking about a tremendously revved up allergy season if we don't do these things. If we just let the weeds and the spring pollens go crazy, we're going to have a lot of kids with hay fever and asthma. And we know that the supply chain of asthmatic inhalers is potentially at risk. So we have to be very thoughtful when we do these things. Doc, I got two more things for you, sir. Since you are a doctor, I think the people at home, because you just mentioned the fear factor, um, there's a lot of trepidation. There's so much uncertainty right now. As a doctor, as a state senator, and you look out to the horizon, there's a lot of varying information about when you guys are going to sort of get on the other side of this. I'm not asking you to make a certain prediction, but what's your best guess? Well, I think it's going to be the end of April, but I think when we get there, I think it's going to be manageable. Our hospitals have done a wonderful job of preparing for it. And the fact of the matter is <laughs> we're not going to win this battle by kicking the can down the road. At some level, we're going to win this battle by having enough people become immune to it by getting the disease. And it's a mild disease in 90% of the people. So the idea of minimizing this wave of the pandemic so that the next wave in, in the fall of the year uh, will be greater. That doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense either. Yeah, Doc, last question. I got about 60 seconds, sir. I mean, we'd love to have you back, but I actually, actually originally brought you on because I thought you had a fascinating piece in the Star Tribune. If we can bring this up, Christy, but it says, hey, more thoughtful lockdown rules could spare loss and suffering. It was really geared towards, look, guys, we've got to obviously put public health first, but also be concerned about our economy. 30 seconds, sir. Why should people go read this piece? Well, I think what it does is it says, listen, we're not going to have government make arbitrary decisions about what is an essential and a non-essential business. We're talking about measuring what we're trying to do. We're trying to provide some, some separation. We're trying to provide some social distancing. And if that's the case, we need to look at what's a safe occupation and what's not. So if pe two people are mowing a lawn on a golf course and they're 30 yards apart, that's not an issue. If we've got lawn people and they're working in solo or, or two-man crews, this is not an issue. When government goes overboard, we lose our liberties and we may never get them back. So we need to be very careful. We can do it with a more laser precision rather than just whack-a-mole. Doctor and Minnesota State Senator Scott Jensen, thank you so much for the time. And boy, I think you made some major breaking news today, sir. And if you would, again, please email me that document, okay? We'll do that. Thank you very much. So obviously the clip that I had saved has been replaced. It was the one where he showed the document where I had highlighted the $100,000 that they get per bed. Chris Berg is a very good friend of mine, um, and he has, you know, in train of thought, because I was in his ear, he was like, all right, uh, are they getting paid? And he's like, oh, my gosh, they are getting paid. Now it makes sense. And then Dr. Jensen was on Ingram and everywhere. He just skyrocketed, skyrocketed. So I wanted to just briefly touch upon CNN. Um, I won't touch more on it yet, but here's a clip from Project Veritas. CNN, the most trusted name in news. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for uh, being here with us today. For those of you who are just joining us and those of you who have stuck around. And I recently learned on the president's Twitter feed that you will soon be resigning. What's the truth? So I do have an announcement to make today. I'm not resigning. CNN President Jeff Zucker has just resigned 
after disclosing a consensual relationship with a colleague. I think you should let me run the country. You run CNN. All right. And if you did it well, your ratings well, would be ask, much if better. I, if I say him, no, I don't give a shit what the, I'm going to rat's ass what the hell you think. Uh, what does your hat say? Let's so you make have America make, great again. This was the actual swab that was being used. All right, here it is. The official reentry from the basement. Cleared by CDC. A little sweaty. Just worked out. Happens. No. No. No, you won't answer? No, I answer. The answer is no. Kathy, Kathy, me wrong. Kathy, Kathy what should in. I do? Nipple, 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 nipple. Air traffic controllers in Southeast Asia have lost contact with a jumbo jet carrying 239 people. It was an accurate and humble assessment from CNN. Until they realized, oh, we've got 23 hours and 59 minutes left to fill. Something like this is around 61, 62 meters end to end, 61, 62 side to sides. You're telling them what a plane looks like? You can just tell 90% of your viewers, look out the airport window at the plane they're about to get on. People have been asking about that, about black holes. A small black hole would suck in our entire universe, so we know it's not that. Now, apparently one of the pilots was locked out of the cockpit and couldn't open the door, which we believe looks something like this. Yeah, let's just listen into the French national anthem for just a moment. This is an apple. I'm you, not going to give you a can question. You stay, can you stay catatonic? You are fake news. Sir. Turn your camera off. Uh, we started this quarter off at two points. Oh my god. Oh my god. I'll tell you what, CNN should be ashamed of itself having you working for them. Hi, Jeffrey. Hello, Allison. Masturbating. I didn't think I was on the call. Well, should we move on to the news? <laughs> sure, let's go. Christine and Laura, what you're seeing behind me is one of multiple locations that have been burning in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Kanye West is what happens when Negroes don't read. Man-made extinctions have even happened before. I guess we hunted the dildo into extinction. Hey, Jeff Zucker, are you there? Hey, yes. this is James O'Keefe. Uh, we've been listening to your CNN calls for basically two months, uh, recording everything. Um, so everybody, in light of that, I think what we'll do is we'll... We'll set up a, a, a new system. Mr. Zucker, I'm a journalist with Project Veritas. Are you instructing CNN to remain silent and Rick Salini instead of being transparent? Mr. Zucker, I'm a reporter with Project Veritas. Do you have any comment on the president's threat to sue CNN? Next thing is going to be for climate change awareness. Do you think it's going to be just like a lot of like fear? Uh, allegations from Steve Bruss from employees at your network, sir. Now would be the time to comment. We've reached out to your PR people. Nobody said a word. Do you know who the higher-ups were that were protecting Steve Russ? Who are the higher-ups, sir? I want you to give Project Veritas comment about why you promote fear and lies. Yeah, fear sells. Fear sells. No one ever says it, those things out loud, but it's obvious. Mr. Zucker, could you instruct CNN to remain silent and Rick Salibi instead of being transparent with the public? There you have it, folks. The president of CNN driving away. 
All we can do is ask the questions, and all they can do is drive away. The gift that keeps on giving, they say. Well, I say I would have loved to see more. He stepped down because he was having a consensual relationship with someone. How much you want to make a bet that kitty porn has circulated to a lot of cell phones? Ah, nipple, 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 nipple gate. Um, so, <laughs> but see, we laugh. But the tragedy behind that is we laugh awkwardly at their demise is greater. It is greater. So we're shifting gears, and to shift gears, we're going to have a musical interlude and come back with our president. Well, you can tell by the way I use my walk. I'm a woman's man, no time to talk. Music loud and women walk, then kicked around since I was born. And nothing's going to change the way we live. Cause we can always hate but never give And now the things are changing for the worst See, oh, life's going nowhere Somebody help me Somebody help me, yeah Future's made of virtual insanity Now always seem to be governed by this love We have for useless twisting of a new technology Oh, now there is no sound For we all live underground Well, now I get low and I get high And if I can't get either, I really try Got the weeds of heaven on my shoes I'm a dancing man and I just can't lose And nothing's gonna change the way we live Cause we can always say but never give And now the things are changing for the worst See, oh, life's going nowhere Somebody help me, somebody help me, yeah. Futures made of virtual insanity now always seem to be governed by this love we have for useless twisting of a new technology. Oh, now there is no sound, for we all live underground. Life's going nowhere Somebody help me Somebody help me, yeah oh. Life's going nowhere Somebody help me Somebody help me, yeah Futures made of virtual insanity Now always seem to Yeah, we bury our heads underground, and that's the way it is. We bury our heads so we don't see what's really there. Because it's not that pretty. 
It's really not that pretty. So now we're going to listen to an interview our president gave a couple days ago. Uh, and I think you might find it uh, enlightening. Here we go. Hi, we are here at Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida. Really the, the place to be this time of the year, absolutely. At least in the United States, a wonderful place, a beautiful place. And we're here with the 45th president of the United States, uh, Mr. Donald Trump. President, thank you so much for well, thank joining us. Thank you very us. much, Drew. It's wonderful to have you on, and we do appreciate it. I want to start with, obviously, the most pressing uh, situation I think this country has right now, which is the situation between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, it's a situation that uh, a lot of people, a lot of Republicans think, and the Ukrainians think, that President Biden has made worse. Um, if, if in this situation, all of a sudden you were handed the gavel, you can run the whole situation, what exactly would you do today to fix it? Well, it's a tricky question because it wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened. This was not even thinkable. And uh, China wouldn't have happened. And you know, what's, what's going to happen with Taiwan now and lots of other problems. What do you, you think is going to happen? Uh, I think that after the Olympics, it'll be a very interesting period of time because they see the way we withdrew from Afghanistan, the horrible way, not the fact that we did, because I, I was the one that got it down to 2,000 soldiers, but we were getting out with strength and dignity and the equipment and no death. Uh, what happened is terrible and the world watched and they watch our borders where people are flooding into our country. We have no idea who they are, where they right. come from. And uh, things are happening now that are very bad. I've never seen anything like what's happening to our country. But let's let's say right now Biden calls you up and says, I have no idea what to do here. Tell me what to do. What would well, you, you say have to, to do with reject strength? Yeah. He doesn't have any respect for our leadership. He doesn't have any respect for our country anymore. They respected our country. And frankly, they respected our leader. A year ago, this was not something that was ever going to happen. Supply chain was never going to happen. Many things weren't going to happen. Inflation, when you look at that, you look at the crime rate in the cities, what's happening to Democrat run cities. Yeah. Uh, but this was something in Ukraine that was never going to happen. This was not on the books. They Should they go after the pipeline? Well, I think this was something that Putin would have always liked to have done, but he didn't see the opportunity, certainly not in the not last few years. Yeah. So uh, Victor Davis, Han Davis Hansen, who's a terrific, I think, historian philosopher, said one thing with Trump, nothing happened during the Trump years with respect to Russia. Mm -hmm. Much happened before, you know that, and much happened right now after. But nothing happened. Frankly, nothing happened with respect to any country. They didn't take advantage of us. We got back in the swim. We made better trade deals. We did a lot of good things. But Nothing happened that was negative to the United States. A lot of Republicans are calling for the transcripts of the phone call between Zelensky and Biden. Uh, the phone call has been reported was a nightmare, yeah. uh, even reported by CNN to have been a nightmare. They went after they went hard for you for transcripts on a phone call. Do you think Biden will release them the way that you did? Well, I gave mine out very openly. They didn't even yeah. ask for them. I gave them out because they made up my phone call. They said, I said this and that eight times, quid pro quo, eight times. You're going to say eight times? I want this, I want that. Eight times the same thing. Just so crazy. It was Schiff. He's a nut job and all these people. No, I gave mine out. And it's lucky we had a transcript because they lied about my call. They lied totally. I got impeached over a, a fake, phony story that they made up. Uh, it would be interesting to see the call. I suspect the call was pretty much like they said, but uh, it's not going to change anything. Mm -hmm. Not going to change anything, but it certainly would be interesting to see it. And do you think Russia makes any moves? 
Do you think they go? It's looking like they will. I would have said it's not even possible. This is not something that ever would have happened if we were there. Uh, But it's looking to me, Rob, like they will make a move. The first year of this presidency. By the way, excuse me. At a minimum, they're going to negotiate a lot of good stuff. Because if they don't make a move, yeah. Biden will give them everything. Yeah. The first year of this presidency, I know you have a lot of thoughts about that. There's a 17 percent approval of the direction that this country is going in right now. 17 percent of Americans think is we're going lowest, in the right direction. Is that the lowest ever? It might be. I, I don't know the answer. Can't to that, imagine. Being I can't much imagine low. it being much lower unless you know maybe I've the never Great heard Depression. Maybe the Great Depression. But um, that's a Gallup poll, by the way. Your reaction to that? Well, I've never heard of a number like that. That's the lowest number I've ever heard. Yeah. So I don't know if it's a record or not. But as you say, the Great Depression, maybe if they ever did it during they the Great it, Depression, yeah. there was no money to do polls in the Great Depression, right? Yeah. But uh, no, it's a terrible number. It's it's and it's probably high. Do you the, the, the biggest I think the biggest problem that we have of all the problems that we've accumulated in the last year has got to be inflation. You've got regular Americans that work hard are much poorer underneath this administration than they were a year ago or two years ago. And the inflation is very bad. It doesn't indicate that it's going to slow down. It doesn't look like it's going to slow down. What needs to be done? This this is the stuff that you guys did well. You guys were great with economic stuff. You had a great team, a great economic team. What should they do? What does the Fed need to do to nip this right now so it doesn't get any worse? I don't really think it's the biggest problem, but it's a real big one. I think the biggest problem is what's happening on our border. Uh, millions and millions of people are coming into our country. We have no yeah. idea who they are. And not only millions of people, but billions and billions of dollars worth of drugs at a level 10 times what it was a year ago. And I think that's probably the biggest problem right now because that's uh, going to take a long time to fix. Yeah. But inflation could be done uh, much more easily, frankly, if you got your energy costs down. Inflation was hurt very badly by the energy because when I was there, it was a dollar eighty-seven a gallon for gas. And now you know what it is? It's, it's like five, six, and even $7 in places in California. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's a fourfold and threefold increase. I think that if you got the uh, energy down, we were energy independent first time in many, many decades. I mean, maybe ever. They say 72 years, I think maybe ever. And we were energy independent, think of that. Yeah. And we had low gasoline and fuel prices, energy prices. And now they've gone up so much that I think they have driven the price of almost everything up because energy is all invasive. It's all over, right? And I really think if you got the energy prices down very substantially, inflation would have a chance to come down. Would, should, should the Fed, the Fed's talking about interest rate hikes in this year. I think there may be maybe three or four hikes this year. A lot of people, a lot of economists have said, even on my show, that they, they got to hike more than they're anticipating doing if they want to get this under control. Do we need a dramatic hike? They've kept it low for a long time. Yeah. You know. uh, you're know, going to have to do something about the inflation, and that's yeah. one of the ways that you you solve the inflation problem. I was here when the prime rate went to 21%. That was during the Jimmy Carter years, and the same thing could happen right now. Yeah. Energy costs are so high. We're going back to OPEC, and we're going to Russia to ask for energy for the east coast of the United States. Can you believe it? They're the ones supplying it. You know, New England, which is tends to be on the liberal side, has the highest energy prices in the country. And they're fueled by Russia. <laughs> the whole thing is stunning. <laughs> who, who can even believe this? We were we didn't need anybody's energy when I was there. 
We were energy independent. We made our own and it was very inexpensive. The, the funniest thing is after all the, the pandering that we saw over climate change from this administration, yeah. I mean, they, they sold themselves as warriors on this issue. The Washington Post reporting that the Biden administration has outpaced your administration in issuing drilling on public lands for oil and gas, which to me, frankly, is hilarious. How ridiculous does that look to you after everything that they said? Well, it's pretty ridiculous. And I, I think that, you know, the bottom line is we're taking in a lot less energy because we don't have energy to fuel ourselves. Yeah. So, you know, we had tremendous amounts of excess energy, so much so that I filled up the strategic reserves first time in uh, 40 years that they were right to the top. They were empty. And now Biden is using the strategic reserves that to I drop filled oil up prices, to try and prices. reduce oil prices. Can you believe this? And they're not meant for that. They're meant no. in case of war, etc. But I filled them up 75 million barrels. I filled them up at very low prices. Amazing. We aired your rally in Texas talking right. about oil. Texas knows a lot about that. Game. And you did a good job, too. And, and, the, and, and the crowd was mad. Heather and the group, they did a fantastic job. They, and we really appreciate you saying that. And we've been airing all your rallies. And this crowd particularly was, was massive. It was a massive crowd. I know you're not announcing anything yet. I'm not going to bug you about that. How do you feel support-wise, though? We, we just read something the other day from Laura Ingram over at Fox News saying she's not ready to support you yet. Uh, are you feeling any hesitation? Yeah, well, she said she was misquoted, so you'll have to ask her. Oh, okay. Look, uh, I think that I've never had better poll numbers. I've never had better support within the party. And I've never had more support outside the party. And it's very simple. Our country is going to hell. And we were doing great. Until the pandemic, until the, the whole thing started with China and the China virus, we had numbers the likes of which this country or any country in the world had never seen before. Then we had to pull back and I had to get that under control. And we filled up all the cupboards, which were all bare. They had no anything. They didn't have goggles. They didn't have anything. And we filled them up with ventilators, with everything. And we became the ventilator country of the world in a six month period. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. And the pandemics and the vaccines and everything, we did everything in less than nine months. It was supposed to take five to 12 years and did a great job. And we handed him over something that was incredible. And they really blew it on COVID. They really blew it. It's to this day, they weren't equipped. They have no tests. Now they're getting the tests from China. More have died under Biden with a vaccine right. than under you without That's a right. vaccine. More, substantially more people have died. You've been more, you've been, you've been more vocal about vaccines lately, more maybe pro-vaccine of late. Obviously, we also have this situation with the truckers in Canada as well. Yeah, yeah. And they have, you have a situation where these guys are fighting a vaccine mandate, Yeah, but they not necessarily anti-vax. No, that's right. No, they, don't, you're wanna, they don't want to be yeah. told that yeah. they have to put this in the body. And I understand that. Yeah. Uh, I'm very proud of what we've done also with therapeutics. I mean, we have, you know, between the Regeneron and all the other stuff that we've come out, we have things that really can make you better and do make you better. And Biden doesn't have them. They don't even talk about them. But these uh, why, why do you think they suppress therapeutics? Why, why do you think they don't I like don't to talk get about it? it? I don't yeah. get it. The therapeutics are powerful and they're good and they're making people better and they don't even talk about them. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. When I talk to people and we talk about, you know, there's a lot of people that absolutely love the mission that you were on. They think that Washington does not work for the American people. They think Washington only works for itself, which is a statement I completely agree right. with. But what I hear from a lot of people is that it's exhausting going through the process of fighting back against the swamp. Your presidency was exhausting to them. 
And they're, they're exhausted by that fight. Well, they're more exhausted now by this uh, Biden fight. Look at what's going on. Yeah. He's very divisive. But with us, don't forget, Rob, we came in and the first day we got there, we were hit with a phony Russia, Russia, Russia deal. We had to fight that. So we were fighting that and doing more than any president just about has ever done for our country. We built the economy. We rebuilt the military. We opened Space Force. Uh, we had low interest rates. We have we cut the taxes and regulations more than any president has ever cut taxes or regulations. We did a great job. But at the same time, we were fighting the radical left on the impeachment hoaxes, which was what over a perfect phone call to Ukraine. It was perfect. Tim Scott, the great senator from South Carolina, read it. He said, because we had a transcript, he said, this call is perfect. What are they doing? And, uh, you know, so when, when they say that, we were fighting these people. We had no choice. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been there. They would have yeah. gotten us out. They were trying to, they were staging a coup. They were trying to get us out of office. Do you think a lot of that, because, I mean, that is one thing that I hear is that it was it was just such an exhausting four years. Is the reason for that, I mean, Obviously, one side blames you for all of that. They say that, 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 that you, would, you made all this noise for yeah. four years. What is, what is your perspective on that? Well, the reason for that is that they hit us before I even got into office with phony investigations. Yeah. They, have, they continue, always continuing. Uh, they should be the ones investigated. Nancy Pelosi should be investigated for doing such a bad job on capital security. I asked for 10,000 soldiers, and we would have given 20, and it's well-documented, to go and because I knew how big the rally would be. The rally was a protest against a rigged election. And I knew how big it was going to be. And I said, why don't we have soldiers there? But she's in charge of capital security and she didn't want any soldiers. So she's responsible for it. And then had Mike Pence sent it back to the legislatures, you wouldn't have had the same kind of anger. There wouldn't be an anger because the legislatures would have done whatever they were going to do. I mean, there was a lot of corruption. There was a lot of phony voting, phony ballots, and they should have been sent back. And it's sort of interesting. They said he didn't have the right to do that, but now they're trying to change the law that says he can't do it. Okay. I said, well, I thought he didn't have the right. Why well, you have to change the law? It's sort of interesting, isn't it? On Saturday at the rally, you talked about the potential, if it's appropriate, of pardoning some of the January 6th. Yeah. Lindsey Graham said a couple days later, he thinks that's inappropriate. What do you think? Well, Lindsey Graham's wrong. I mean, Lindsay's a nice guy, but he's a rhino. Lindsay's wrong. Look, they tried to burn down Washington. We're talking federal buildings. They were terrible. Every Democrat city was on fire. And nobody says anything about it. Antifa and BLM were causing such problems, including death. Don't forget, uh, ex with the exception of one young, fine woman, Nobody died on January 6th. Nobody mm. died on January 6th. They like to say five people, but nobody died on January 6th. The no, one nobody, person, was, nobody was intentionally killed. The one term. person yeah. who died was Ashley Babbitt. She was killed by a ruthless man that never should have used his gun to shoot her. She was killed. And he's a hero to the left. That cop is a hero. I think it's a disgrace. And in fact, they wanted to shield him, but he couldn't get on television fast enough. Mm -hmm. I saw his interview. Mm -hmm. And he thinks it was great that he shot her and killed her. And she didn't have a gun. She didn't have anything. There was no reason to do that. It's a disgrace. But she was the person that died. 
And they don't treat, they're not treating these people the same way. You don't see with all of the killing and all of the fires and all of the burning, including of federal buildings, they tried to burn down the courthouses. I stopped them in Minnesota and Minneapolis. We sent in the National Guard. I'm not even supposed to be doing that. That's supposed to be up to the Democrat governor. These are all Democrat-run areas. But with all of that, you don't see anybody going to jail and being treated like these people. These people are being treated horribly. I would absolutely, because some of them are being treated very unfairly. Yeah, I would absolutely give them a pardon the, the punishments if things are don't out work of, out fairly. Punishments are out of proportion to the crime. Out of proportion, like 20 times out of proportion. These people are being persecuted. And the other ones, when they, they caught people who killed people, they want to give them the minimum sentence. They, they're out there fighting for a minimum sentence. No, it's a very unfair situation. Black Lives Matter, uh, Antifa, and others, these radical left people, I mean, you have the vice president trying to bail everybody out of jail, but they weren't in jail very long. It was pretty easy to do. Yeah. And getting the bail was very easy. These people are in jail in a horrible, disgusting, dirty jail, so bad that the court system, which is very left, is angry that people have to live like this. And some of these people are not guilty. Many of these people are not guilty. What they've done to to these, and in many cases, patriots, their soldiers, their policemen, what they've done to them compared to what they've done to the other side, you know, you have to have equal justice. And this is an equal. So I would absolutely be prepared. And Lindsey Graham doesn't know what the hell he's talking about if he says that, because you have to have equal justice. It's very, very unfair what's happened to this group of people. Understood. You you live a, a great life. You're you're now, for the time being, a little bit out of politics. You go back into the, a little if you, bit. If, a little bit. <laughs> but if you go back in, you, you get attacked again. Yeah. It costs you money. It costs you a tremendous amount of wealth to, to play this game so, with them. So what, what is it? What drives you? I mean, the, the one thing I think everybody asks me, and the one thing I ask myself about you, because I, I watch you and I say. This, I've never that has that kind of drive that, that has got to do stuff as much as you do. I mean, most people by your age just want to relax. Yeah. You want to go back into this war zone. I mean, you're, you're flirting with it right now. You're not going to announce and I understand that. But to go back into there, I think people would have to say you're crazy. Very simple reason. We have a great country that's going to hell and it's going to hell very fast. And we're not going to have a country left. And I did a great job. I did more than most presidents would do in 30 years between the taxes and the regulations and the business and everything else. Then I got, we got hit with the COVID from China and they got to pay something for that. They're going to pay something. Nobody could afford, you know, it's probably $60 trillion worldwide. That's really the damage, 60 trillion, not talking about all the death that they caused, but our country is going to hell and we're going to make America great again, again. I sort of say it, I smile. But there's nothing to smile about because our country is going bad. We're not going to have a country much longer if it keeps going. I don't think any president has done this damage. You can go through, you can add up five presidents. They haven't done the damage that this man has done in the last year. If you look at everything with the economy, the inflation, the COVID, the military embarrassment in Afghanistan, our military has gone down in the eyes of the public 70%. And our military is great. I knocked out ISIS, don't forget. I killed, I, I knocked out ISIS. We were told you couldn't do it. I did it in two months. We have great military. We have great generals, except for the television generals. They're stupid people. But 
our military is great. I rebuilt our military. They gave 75, $85 billion worth of equipment, handed it to the Taliban, the enemy. And then they had a parade saying what a stupid country America, what a stupid country the United States is. Mm -hmm. They have a parade showing off 70,000 trucks, 700,000 machine guns and guns and other weapons, night goggles right out of the box, better than what we have because it was the newest version of it. It's embarrassing. Uh, Planes, tanks, everything. Let's ask about the picture book real quick before we go. Yeah. Just so you can, I mean, this this book is actually incredible. These are pictures. You you handpicked these pictures. You wrote the captions. Tell us a little bit about it. So things are going so badly for our country that people were calling, can we have pictures? Can we have anything? Because, you know, while it was nasty with all the hoaxes and all the scams and everything else that these people created, uh, Adam Shifty Schiff, all these crazy people, and Nancy Pelosi, crazy Nancy. Mm. While it was, you know, a very rough thing, people romanticize about our country because we were doing so well. And they said, could we do pictures? And basically, it's a very beautiful, big picture book. And we've done 250,000 copies immediately sold out. Now we're, we just ordered another four or 500,000. And guess what? It takes a while because you can't get the paper. You can't get the ink. You can't get the glue. You can't get, you can't get the leather. And the printer, who's great, he's supposedly the second largest printer in the country. He said to me, I've never had problems getting paper before. Now they can't get paper. Think of it. Glue, ink. They can't get anything, but we're pressing very hard to get uh, more copies because we have the book has been a tremendous success. And usually a book like that is not because it's bigger and it's a little more expensive than, you know, a regular book, which you can buy for 10 bucks or something. But this book is a big, very successful thing. It was selling on the Internet for three thousand dollars because people can't get it. So we're doing everything we can to get it. And uh, we're trying to help him get paper. Can you believe this? This is a big printer. He he said, 42 years, sir. I've never had a trouble getting paper or ink or glue. It's kind of poetic, though. He can't get anything. Yeah. So it's a very sad situation, what's going on in the country. So I hope everybody gets the book. We'll get it to you soon. We appreciate it. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. We bro. really appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, everybody. During the past year, we've been fortunate to have some great conversations on Cash's Corner. Today, I think, is the most special. Today, we are going to be talking to my former boss about, on camera, what he and I discussed in person so often, be it in the Oval Office, in the residence, or on the road with the president. We talked about defeating terrorists. We talked about ending the never-ending wars. We talked about bringing home American hostages, reforming the intelligence community, and so much more. Those conversations were had on Air Force One, Marine One, or the Oval Office. Today, on camera, we bring you some of these conversations with the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, here in Mar-a-Lago. Mr. President, thanks so much for joining us on Epoch Times and Cash's Corner. We're, we're excited to have you. Thank you for being with us today at, at wonderful Mar-a-Lago. I'm glad to be talking to you. I'd want to sort of just jump right in, sir. We know what your administration accomplished against China, against the CCP, and how you made Xi Jinping respect you. And we saw how the last year has gone, sir. What I want to know is, Mr. President, what does the, what does the next what does the next three years look like? How do we take on China? What does the next administration, the next president, have to do not to just get us back to where we were, but even further along? It is the saddest period of time 
uh, that I've ever seen for a country. We had everything so good. You were a part of it. Mm-hmm. The borders, the relationships with other countries, they respected us. We made trade deals that were good deals. We broke bad deals and made great deals. Like uh, we got rid of NAFTA, which was a horrible thing. And we have the USMCA with Canada, Mexico. Uh, but this is the saddest time for our country. And I think the most embarrassing time for our country And it really, look, the borders are a disaster with millions of people coming in. Everything's a disaster. There's nothing good. Inflation. But the point that was the worst, I think, was that whole, the way they withdrew from Afghanistan. Yeah. The way they withdrew. No, I was, I got them down to 2,000 soldiers. I was getting out. We were going to get out with strength and dignity and and our equipment and (laughs) no deaths. The way they withdrew from Afghanistan was like we were the... The gang that couldn't shoot straight, it was the most. And to take out the military before you take out, now they're hostages. Okay, we'll call yeah. them the hostages, the Americans mm-hmm. and some others. But And now they've just taken thousands and thousands of people out of Af- Afghanistan. They don't even know who they are, no, where so. they come from. Uh, we're going to pay a big price later. You watch. You're going to pay a big, big price with terrorism and other things. But um, it, it is so sad to see it. It's How do just we not reset? even. How do we reset okay, China? So it's got to be reset. Uh, China now is uh, going to be on a rampage. I think after the Olympics, bad things will happen with respect to Taiwan. Okay. Would have never happened with if the election weren't rigged, this stuff would have never happened. It was a rigged election and a disgraceful situation. And the uh, what's happening with Russia and Ukraine, mm-hmm. what's happening with uh, North Korea, what's happening with Iran. Now they're renegotiating from weakness. We would have had a deal with Iran in one week after the election it was going to be done. They were all set to make a deal. They would have made a deal in, in one week. Instead, this deal they're talking about now is a disaster for our country. Yeah. And it's just uh, you need new leadership. Uh, you know, I could give you 20 different things. I could say do this, do that. They're not going to do it. Well, they're not going to do it. But I think I think what America wants to know is what, what should be done, because no one in a position of power like you, right. Mr. President, is saying what should be done. Everyone's saying it. What, when it was great, I agree. I was part of your national security apparatus, and we took on Iran, and we withdrew from Afghanistan smartly with conditions and right. put America first. Right. But people are out there, and I talk to them. They want to know, what do we do? We know it's gotten so bad. Well, what you need we leadership, though, Cash. You know, it's easy to say what you because you, you close the border. Mm-hmm. You go back to stay in Mexico. You go back to all of the policies that we had, catch and release. We end it. We end it. And it's easy to say that's what you have to do, but they're not going to do that. I used to think they were just grossly incompetent. <laughs> now it's a combination of that, and but their policy is so bad. So it's easy for me to say you have to do that. You have to get strong with China. You have to do tariffs. You have to do, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of different things. But they're not going to be doing it. If they don't do it, what do, what do we tell Americans? What do we uh, tell the world? I mean, we you know, telling them to wait three years. I, I, I'll tell you tough. that. We have got a problem because three years is a long time. Look, they have destroyed our country in one year. Mm-hmm. And they're going to get three more years. They rig an election. They're going to get another three more years. I can't tell you what's going to happen because our country has never gone down so much so fast. We have never been in this position. Uh, what they're doing to our country in terms of criminal justice, mm-hmm. in terms of trade, in terms of our military, we have these woke generals that don't know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> I know. Where they leave $85 billion worth of equipment behind and they move the military out before they move the people out. Mm-hmm. 
it's, uh, you know, it's easy to say. I could give you a list of things. I could give you a list of 10 to 15 items and everyone would be perfect, but they're not going to do them. They're not closing the border. I used to think that they were just late. But, you know, the wall could have been done and completed in three weeks. It was almost complete. It took two and a half years to get it started because I had to win 11 lawsuits, mostly by <laughs> Congress and Democrats. Uh, I won all the lawsuits and it was almost complete. And it's still, you know, look, it's still without it. We had the lowest numbers ever on our southern border. Now we have the worst numbers. Yeah, last year, And that includes million. drugs. The drugs are 10 to 15 times more than they were one year ago. Think of that. 10 to 15 times, they're saying. So um, we can give you everything to do, but it's just a waste of time because unless you have the right people in, you're not, they're not going to do it. So speaking of the right people, sir, we got a midterm election and it looks like the Republicans are poor yeah. as well. Can leadership in the House and the Senate, like when we had Chairman Nunes and I were running the Russiagate investigation, can we have oversight investigations yeah. that help stall or pause the bad policies? And do we have that leadership coming into Congress? Well, you have a lousy leader in Mitch McConnell, and he's proven that a lot. But having the Senate is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And getting the House is, is going to be, that's going to be like a stopgap because they'll be able to stop a lot of the things that okay. are being done to destroy our country. So getting the House is a very big thing because you need the House. If, if, if we have the majority, which we should be able to get, I mean, some people are saying by 45 votes. I heard that. We yeah. could get them by a lot, maybe even more than that. And who wouldn't vote for the Republicans right now? And if we get the House, we can stop most of this stuff from happening, at least. That's so big. But what they're doing is in between now and November, that's a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And they are going full speed to get as much as they can. You know, they were never given a mandate to use mandate in a different term because <laughs> the mandates are bad, right? Yeah. But they were never given a mandate in this election. Right. Because even if you looked at it where they won, which they didn't, they lost by a lot. But if you look at the number, they were so close. It was a, you know, so that's not a mandate to destroy our country. But Americans are seeing that it's going the wrong way, right? You know, Americans it, are It's going it. the wrong way, but it's going a way that if somebody won an election by 40 points, mm -hmm. you know, you maybe could do whatever you want. But this was a thing that they just snuck it over the line. And it's so, all coming out now where they, they, look, they lost the election and now they're destroying the country. So think of it. They're destroying our country. They're making us a different country. We're becoming like a socialist or a communist state. We no longer have a press. The press is absolutely the enemy of the people. We don't have a press. If you do a story that's very important from your view, you can't get the story out. It's very hard to get the word out. That's why what you do is so important, because you will find a way. But we don't have a free press anymore. We don't have a fair press anymore. And it's sort of interesting because you really wonder, Cash, why? Mm -hmm. Why would they want to have a weak military? Why would they want to have high interest rates and higher taxes? And why would they want to have no border? I mean, no border. Why would they want to have no voter ID, as an example, or well, sanctuary cities that take care of criminals? You go through all of these things, defund the police. Why do they want to defund our police? They want to take money away. They want to take our police away. Why? You know it can't be possibly good. So either they're stupid, which I don't think they are, mm -hmm. or they hate our country. But you really say, why do they want to do this stuff? Why? Why does somebody want to defund the police? 
And you see the crime rates in these Democrat cities. It's going through the roof like like it's never been before. And, and I think you're right, sir. I think most of America, the overwhelming majority of Americans, agree with you and your policies from the past administration. What I think Americans are missing right now is the solution. And I, I know three years is a long time away. It's a long time. But, you know, what would, you know, if you were if you were back in and, you know, what was the first thing you'd say? to? Oh, say, back in? If I were back uh, in say now? Say to Xi Jinping. The wall. First of all, okay. the wall. And because he even for him, you know why? Because when he sees millions of people pouring into our country, he loses respect for our country. Mm -hmm. This is before the Afghanistan disaster. Mm -hmm. When uh, him and Putin and Kim Jong Un and Iran leaders, when they're watching millions of people walk into our country and just uh, from 129 different countries just walk in, they lose respect. It's so easy. You close it up. You got to close it up. And that would send a big signal, a really big signal. And then you've got to get their respect again. How do you do that? I had, well, you do that by making sure, making sure that they know that this country is here and it's here to stay and we're not going to take any nonsense. Number one, our military budget, they cut the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. So China's building a military like nobody's ever seen before, and we're cutting our budget. You can't let that happen. We have better everything than them if we are allowed to use it, okay? And you have to gain the respect. Right now, Putin no longer respects our country. That's why they're doing what they're doing in well, he's doing at, the same thing, Ukraine. right, over in Russia. He's well, in, the, same, oh, oh. the same campaign. This is, these things would never have happened had... I've been president. Would you call him today, Putin, and say, this, this just can't happen? And I, if I were president, I'd call him. I wouldn't call him if I'm not president <laughs> because it wouldn't be appropriate to do. Sure. I mean, you know, they'd say, oh, Trump is, uh, look, I'm the one that stopped their pipeline. Yeah, the North Stream Okay, too. then they say, oh, Trump was easy. That's the biggest thing that's ever happened to them. Yeah. And I got along well with Putin. I, I got, had a very good relationship with him, but he understood, and I understood. We had an understanding. He would have never done Ukraine, and she would have never been you know doing what he's doing look he's looking to do taiwan that would have never happened under well my you, you set that you set the posture and when i was at chief of staff for you at dod you set a very tough posture in the south china sea and again you know and with taiwan tough. and you're right he didn't think for a second to come in and do anything never now, even thought now he's it. taking shots at american dummy ships in the south yeah. china sea you're absolutely right and with putin right in the, in the Obama administration, he did the Crimea invasion. In the Biden administration, he's thinking about coming into either Kazakhstan and, uh, and, and, and the Ukraine. But it didn't happen under yours. You were Why there. I wiped out 100% of the ISIS caliphate. Yeah. Everyone said it couldn't be done in less than two or three can years. I, I did I, it in one month. I got to tell a story. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't mean to interrupt the president here. But I was running counterterrorism for you, and you said, Cash, I've got some very simple policies I'd like to get done. I want to kill al-Qaeda senior leadership. I want to wipe out the emirs of ISIS, and I want to make sure we shut Iran down. President, I had, a, I had a, uh, an org chart for ISIS and al-Qaeda on the back of my office door when I was head of CT for you. And we X'd out 98% of the people on the org chart because you took the fight to them. And that was a humbling and impressive experience. Do you think now with what happens in F- Rumble is taking forever to just, you know, play this video. 
when it's one of the most important interviews, Cash Patel is doing an extraordinary job in ensuring that information is conveyed the way it should. Now, speaking of inflation in the economy, um, tomorrow, that's what we're going to be talking about. And I may have to say, I'm sorry, Patrick Byrne, that I talked about your friend. I may still looking into that. Um, cause you know, it's always about the first domino that makes the rest fall. And this giant that president Trump is attempting to tackle is all about money. Now, while, um, we have, you know, our nation on its knees, uh, no longer independent. I ran across information and I couldn't believe it was that one simple stone that did it. And I think Warren Buffett actually was the first domino. You know, sometimes people do things to kick off a cascade. And one might think, well, you know, when he made that move, I remember seeing it on like, I think it was like the financial times back in 2018. I was like, what the heck, Mr. Trainman, stay in your lane. But it actually made sense today. So we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Because that was the simple move to bring down all of it, like dominoes. Um, so, so I was kind of ding. And it all just happened in the past, you know, six weeks. Uh, during my interview with Patrick Byrne, I discussed the challenges that the president had. While many people will say, oh, uh, you know, lock them all up. You can't. You can't. Why? Because then all of you will be broke and you have no financial system. You should re-listen to that portion. In 2018, I talked about how this has to be done. How gold can be brought back. Not the stupid Nassara Jassara you're listening to. That's exactly what the tech companies want right now. You cannot have a financial blockchain when you don't have your identity on a secure mode and blockchained. If there is no sound blockchain technology on your identity... You will lose every ability to control anything in your life. So as technology evolves, so does everything. And it must be perfect. I mean, one person that I admired who may or may not be dead <laughs> spoke of that um, a lot. So, um, I will introduce you to this tomorrow. Uh, 
Uh, we'll talk about it tomorrow and focus on that tomorrow. Um, because if we went into those systems that they claim now, you have no control over your identity and therefore no control over any of your money, property, anything. So, um, let's hope that this continues because there's a lot of good nuggets here. Let's see. Afghanistan, yes. they're going to be back on the rise and we're going to have to deal with that. Well, they situation. already are on the rise and look, uh, they were they were wiped out 100%. You know, remember I wanted to leave because we were 95% there. I said, oh, we can leave now. Let these other countries handle it. Let Russia handle it. Right. Let uh, Iran handle it. You know, we're doing their work for them. Yeah. Like with ISIS sure. in particular. They hate ISIS. I said, they can handle the rest. And then the press said, oh, it wasn't 100%. I said, okay, I'll do 100%. You did? And I wiped out in two weeks. The 100 boom, I took them out. You know what happened? Nothing. Nothing. But they you went back to where they've been for the last 2,000 your, years. Your foreign policy, you, you drew us out of wars, yeah. you, of the forever wars, as yeah. we called them. And, you know, Iran, that for you, in Afghanistan, Iraq. You know, people are saying two or 300. That's mm -hmm. too many. One is too many. Yeah. But it could be in the thousands. But you have people, because we took our military out first. How stupid is that? Well, you know, let, you know this is actually, I'm going to add one on there. You came up with the conditions-based withdrawal for Afghanistan, and I was fortunate enough to be over at DOD, and you, and you said, Cash, we're not leaving until we get the Americans right. first. We're not leaving until we the get conditions. the conditions. We're not leaving until we wipe out al-Qaeda and ISIS. We're going to leave Bagram. We're going to keep it. We're going to leave special forces in the country, and we're going to bring every American home. Fast forward in juxtaposition what they're doing now. They just left. People are falling out of the sky to their death. And by the way, they were texting American citizens in Afghanistan to say, please come to Kabul if you can and we'll get you out. Yep. What kind of foreign policy is that? Well, we America? gave them a list. We gave the Taliban a list of all the people that we knew that were Americans as we were leaving. It was crazy. So now they know it and mm -hmm. they probably have them and some are captured. There's no question yeah. about it. And some are living a very bad life. But we gave this all to them. The way they did that is not... Number one, it's not excusable. And the way they did it, it is just uh, not even believable that somebody could be so stupid, that they could be so weak and so stupid. We look like we surrendered. Not mm -hmm. one soldier was killed in 18 months. I spoke to Abdul. Abdul was the leader of the Taliban, still is. And I had a very strong conversation with him. And we didn't lose one soldier in 18 months. And then we, we flee. There was no reason to even go quickly. I would have said... Take the people out, take the equipment out. When everything's gone, get some of the people from Afghanistan that helped us, the interpreters, etc. Not tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands. It's a small group, but get them. I mean, people are fleeing Afghanistan. Hundreds of thousands of people are coming out. Mm -hmm. They're coming into our country. We have no idea who they are. It's uh do you think we it's very sad day do you for, think in the next three years we have to go back into Afghanistan? We as a conventional. I military? hope not, but I would have kept Bagram. Yeah. It was always my plan to keep Bagram. Not because of Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. They spent billions of dollars building it twenty years ago. Yeah, right. Has the longest, most powerful runway stick. It can handle anything. And it's right next to China. It's one hour away from where they build their nuclear weapons. And they, they lost See, the world doesn't know that part about it. I don't think people know that. I don't know if they know it or not. How can you lose Bagram? It's one hour away from where China does its nuclear weapons. Now, add insult to injury, they have a parade displaying all of the equipment that they got from us. Think of it. Yeah. 70,000 trucks 
And these are armor-plated, many of them, the most expensive. This is not like billion, you, know, you yeah. go down to your local dealer. <laughs> uh, 700,000 machine guns, rifles, weapons. Helicopters. Helicopters, tanks, night goggles, out of the box, brand new, better than what we have, the new model, mm-hmm. the newest model. And here's the other part. China is now taking over Bagram. China is going to have Bagram. And they also have a lot of our weapons because they're re-engineering and going to build them for themselves because we made the greatest, you know, the Apache helicopters, etc. And they're now studying our helicopters because they want to build them just like that. This is one of the greatest catastrophes. And not only in terms of actual, in terms of psychological, I think it's the most embarrassing day or week in the history of our country. And the fake news media hardly wants to talk about it. How do we get it back? How, who, who does that? The next leader? What do Look, they have to do? You need a leader. Yeah. You need a leader. If you have the leader, it'll all work out right. But we don't have that right now. Are we going to have that leader? Not Right now, you have nothing close to it. I hope we do. You're going to find out. You're going to find out. I will say this. We had the country better than it's ever been. The economy, everything. It was the best economy we ever had. And then COVID came in from China. I call it the China virus because it's a much more accurate term. But the China virus floated in and then we rebuilt it again and we handed over something that was incredible and they blew it. And he ran on the basis that I will stop COVID. He didn't stop anything. It was a disaster. And they weren't prepared. They didn't order the kits. They didn't order the tests. They didn't order the therapeutics that you need. The therapeutics are so important. We developed great therapeutics. They didn't order it. They were totally unprepared. You know what's the, what I see as the difference, Mr. President, across the board from a national security defense law enforcement position is you just did the mission. You ordered your priorities be executed yeah. and compared it to today, they politicize it. They want to know what the media is going to like. They want to take their cues from the media. That's what I've been saying um, recently on TV that I think just because President Trump place the priority against Russia, against China, against Iran, bringing hostages home, killing terrorists, they want to do the opposite. And I think that's just a tragic uh, day for America. What do you think? I think this. They're good at two things. Politics and rigging elections. That's <laughs> it. If they use the same genius on running our country, we'd have a country like no other. And, you know, when I say make America great again, I mean that because we have to make America great again. They never talk about greatness. All they talk about is the same old stuff. It's You watch the news. It's covid it's uh, global warming. Mm-hmm. They talk about global warming. They don't talk about nuclear warming. They talk about yeah. The DOD's warming. priority is global warming. Global and climate warming. Change. Woke. Everything's woke. Let's make sure that a guy can participate in women's sports. Do you see the records that are being broken now? Yeah. A record that held up eleven years in swimming was broken by thirty-eight seconds. So you, you weightlifting records are being broken by numbers like nobody's ever you seen. Do like one hand, those, right? It's a disgrace. What's going on is just disgrace. The last thing, and, you know, when you and I get together, Mr. President, we always have to uh, chat. um, Russiagate and what happened to you was, you know, the biggest criminal enterprise when you're running for president than when you became president. And I don't want to stew over the past, but I do think our viewers are really interested in John Durham. And they want to take, they want to think, they want to know what you think about John Durham. I mean, you and I talk about it as a former federal prosecutor, national security guy. You know, I think I know where John Durham's going. Where do you think, how do you think he's done and where do you think he's going? So I wish it were faster Mm -hmm. because I think it could have been much faster. Uh, Would have been nice to have been done before the election because they cheated viciously and crazily. Uh, What they did was so criminal. 
would have been good if the voters would have known that. But it didn't matter because I won the election by a lot anyway. But so it didn't. Honestly, I don't think that was the big defining moment. But he did come up with some real interesting stuff with the lawyers and mm-hmm. Sussman and all of these yeah. people, number one. And I hear there's a lot coming. So I think the jury is out. We're going to see what happens. But what he's doing is one of the most important jobs being done right now in America. What do you say to the American people that every time I'm on TV, every time, you know, you do a rally, I'm sure you see it on a much greater level than I ever will, sir, that, you know, where's John Durham? Where's John Durham? Do you have faith in him? And do you, I, I tell people he's on the right path. It takes time. That's right. You've said that. That makes me feel good, too, because you know a lot about that. But I will say that uh, he came out with that initial statement and report, and it was big. Mm-hmm. And that felt like a foundation for very big things to come. So hopefully, I mean, we'll, who knows? We're going we're gonna to see. I wish it were faster. We're going to see what happens. But it was a criminal. I call it the crime of the century. Yeah. I'm, it is really the crime of the century. And it changed everything, including the election. It changed everything. It was so disgusting what took place. And all of the things they said about me in Russia, it was them in Russia. It was them in Russia. They worked with Russia. And they would lie. They'd go up and say, I watched this Adam Schiff. I call him respectfully, watermelon head, because his head <laughs> is shaped just like a watermelon. And I'd watch him go up to the microphone and act as though so hurt. He's so hurt talking right. about Trump and Russia when he knew it was a, a rigged deal, when he knew it was mm-hmm. a fake. He knew it was fake. He was one of the people that made it up along with Hillary Clinton and others. Maybe they're looking at him. And they'd go out there and they'd act as though they're so hurt by what took place. Uh, these are bad people. So I hope John Durham comes up for the good of the country, comes up with uh, everything that you know took place and that everybody know took place because it has been exposed. It would be really nice to uh, have it fully exposed. So we'll see what happens. I will give you a really good answer, hopefully, in a year from now. <laughs> I'll take your word for it, Mr. President. So, look, I, I know your time is precious. Thank you for joining us on Cash's Corner. Thank you for inviting us into Mar-a-Lago and uh, meeting the team, meeting my parents, sure. made my day, made my year. Um, and, you know, I'm going to come back and see you soon, sir. Your parents did a great job with you. Have a good time. Thank <laughs> Thanks, you very sir. much. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thanks, Mr. President. That's good. Okay. That was good. That was actually really good. Woodwork, come out of the shadows and talk and, 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 and share information and, and work together to remove power from these people. But he's also given that strength to countries globally. We see it everywhere. You know, I'm really hoping that for Christmas, President Trump writes an executive order to shut down USAID. You know, he referred to how USAID, the State Department, USAID, remember, John Teff's daughter, USAID, he's giving all this money to Central America. The same USAID that already funded the caravans. They have all these millions and billions of dollars to just hand out to different countries of the world, kind of like we were handing out our military to different parts of the world, but they don't have it for our veterans or to build a wall. Or feed children completely for free at public schools. Is that what they're trying to make you see? That we have billions of dollars we're just giving away, billions of troops that we're just handing out and lending out, but we don't have money for a wall, for security, for our troops, for the VA? Somebody's got to call it BS. 
So that was a show I did on how, um, and I think it cut it off where I said, you know, Trudeau, you're on your way out. Canada wants their own Trump. Uh, Canada has been a neighbor to the United States since forever and a day, right? Since its inception, of course. And it's had kind of a mixed history. It's under the crown, kind of, not really, and French, and this. And it's a little bit um, discombobulated in regards to where allegiances fall. But one thing and where they don't fall is to the people. They are clearly showing what a 21st century monarchy is. And it's, and it's horrific on the backs of the people. On the backs of the people, they're demonstrating this. Now, before I go tonight, I wanted to share with you um, an old uh, video from election night. There it is. And I want you to remember how... I had brought to your attention a few times when discussing this idiot about his wife. And this is none other than Jamie Raskin, who was slapped with an ethics complaint. <laughs> it's nothing to do with some of those that we filed, of course. Remember, he was the impeacher. Remember, his wife. <laughs> There's a lot of episodes you want to see about his wife, Ukraine, Ukraine, Malta, Malta, China, 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 Hong Kong. And we're going to talk a lot about China and Hong Kong tomorrow because we're going to talk about how this is working and how this is happening. The insight to the unfold, because at this point, queen to F7. So let's take a look at this trip down memory lane. It's quite fascinating. Oh, good. Yeah, my haiku went out and I got my first compliment. Love the haiku. Okay. My haiku is, don't ever again say that it can't happen here. Say we won't let it. We were obviously still in COVID-19, so there were no election night parties going on. Everybody was at home. Tommy was with me, and we were just watching and waiting. Dallas County here. Biden's leading these by 33 points. Wow. There's still some open Biden's here. taking a big this lead in Texas? Like a lot of vote, but we have what? over a million votes Because remember, we saw all those That's stats awesome. from last month about historic early vote totals. Right. We are watching. Watching those Texas results as they come in, uh, but there has been so much hope the Democrats have invested there, especially looking at the high turnout numbers. Again, we are still watching the final votes come in in the all important state of Georgia, on North Carolina, on Virginia. Tom, hey, are you staying up or are you going to sleep? I don't think so. I'd be willing to put money on it. Then I oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I'll bet you. Hey, yeah, I'll bet you. Okay. My kids are so freaked out that Trump might win. Everybody's so freaked out. I mean, it's going to be a long night. It's going to be, it's going to, I mean, Trump is going to be suing 
We're, we're going to win this narrowly, and then Trump is going to be fighting it every step along the way. I mean, buckle up. It's going to. We'll be fighting about this until we get into the new Congress. We'll be fighting about it until January sixth. Maybe beyond. Maybe you know. I mean, Trump will not let go. Would you let go? Would you let go? Would you let go? Would you let that go? They already knew. They already said that don't worry if Trump's winning, all the mail-in ballots will be for Biden. How'd they know that? Oh, let me guess. Let me guess. Is this why we didn't have enough money to pay for the border? And they left that open? And they got demons crawling in. It's, it's insane. But it is what it is what it is for now for now, just for now. On that note, I'm going to wish you guys a fabulous evening. And I want you to remember that sometimes things are a little bit different. God bless. Yeah. Used to be sunshine and now it's dark winters But nothing can't stop what's coming when God enters Not even the men in disease control centers God's army way too strong, too many members Read it in Revelation but nobody remembers Satan gonna lose, the Holy Spirit is in us All he got is trolls and patriotic pretenders They coming for the souls and trying to create the sinners We praying all together and asking God to forgive us They coming for the kids, the science is trying to kill us Put us in the hospital, separating the village They want to spill blood so we can begin to pillage We don't want your medicine, changing up God's image All of us is fighting, defending the line of scrimmage And we got soldiers, we throwing them boulders And we all stand together, man, we shoulder to shoulder Alpha, Beta, Delta, Theta Every other week I'm hearing another flavor They say trust science, but I'm trusting my savior So we know the situation They just want to take up the rest of your motivation Put it in the music and made you a demonstration They was just waiting and hoping for hesitation They want to try to introduce people to levitation But we went to class and got us an education Bootleggers copy but missing the foundation Bad communication Truth is the double-edged sword God got power you shouldn't have ignored You can learn something them times you've been bored Something for things you ignored Ice wall blocking in places we explored We just need money for things we can afford We tired of the pieces you throwing out on the board So I'ma have to get in this booth and then record Record Beta, Delta, Theta Every other week I'm hearing another flavor They say trust science but I'm trusting my savior Me give us everything that we need so tell us